And let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we're able to spend time in it this morning in a, a warm place. And uh, we pray that you'd speak. That's our heart. Uh, every one of us has come from different places this week. Um, some busy weeks, um, unfruitful, fruitful, disappointing, encouraging. And I pray that you'd minister to each one of us the way um, only you can. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, tonight, the New Believers Bible Study is canceled. Our, our leader has to plow snow. He works for MoDOT, so he'll be out plowing this snow. But we will be having our prayer at 7 o'clock. Um, if you want to join us for that, between 7 and 8, we'll be having that corporate prayer time. First of every month, first Sunday of every month, we have that prayer time, just so you know. Um, that's always available. All right. Jehoram. This is an interesting two chapters to teach. Um, so, well, we'll get into it. <laughs> don't, don't have to warn you ahead of time. We'll just find it out as we go through. And Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, old king, Judah's old king. Then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. He had brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Ezra Yahoo, or <laughs> I think it is Yahoo, uh, Yahuwah, or whatever. Michael, and uh, he won't know. He can't hear me. Uh, <laughs> maybe he can. Uh, Shephatiah. All these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. Their, their father gave them great gifts of silver and gold and precious things with fortified cities in Judah. But he gave the kingdom to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. Now when Jehoram was established over the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself and killed his brothers with the sword and also all others of the princes of Israel. What a weird time, right? Weird time to live. Very uh, selfish young man. Uh, not that young, but youngish man. Um, dad wanted to make sure his power was kind of spread out and he could keep a close eye on everything in the kingdom and so put his sons in all these different cities to keep them flying straight, basically. It wasn't really a, 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 an, an oppressive thing, but more of a let's, let's stay true to God kind of thing. And so he's put his sons into all these places, given them all their uh, responsibilities and enough funds to make sure those responsibilities were met. But he gave the whole kingdom to his oldest son because he was the firstborn. And scripture tells us that. That's why he got it. That's not always the best reason to give somebody something just because they had the, the right or it was their turn, you know. We see God even bypassing these sort of man-made um, traditions where the firstborn, you know, gets this and everybody else gets what's left over. When David was anointed, anointed to be king, passed through all of his other brothers until finally he got to the youngest young man, David, and made him, anointed him to be king over Israel. God is always looking for the best person for the job, for the ministry. It isn't always the person who feels it's their turn or they deserve it or that they've, uh, they've earned it in some way. It's always got to be because God said so. It has to be because God said so. And in this case, this is not who God picked. This is who dad picked. And it's going to cost him. Cost him all of his other sons. Now these are half-brothers. He had multiplied wives to himself. He had lots of wives. And so all these have the same dad but different mothers. 
So maybe there are some issues there. There always is. Very difficult to not have issues or competition in those situations. Um, and it gets ugly. But they're dead. They're out of the picture. For whatever reason, for whatever purposes, it's Jehoram that decided to be the selfish one, to make sure there was an establishment of his authority and that no one could ever take it away from him. There's a paranoia there. There was a, there was a competition there. I don't want anybody to sneak in from behind and, and take this from me. I don't want to get assassinated. Maybe that's the kind of relationship he had with his brothers. Maybe they were that wicked. Oh man, if you get it, you, can, you better keep sleep with one eye open. You know, we don't know the story. All we know is that he initiated. God warns us about this. Even in the church, even as believers, James writes in chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, speaking about bad wisdom. There's good and bad wisdom, some from heaven, some from hell or earthly. And he begins in verse 15, this wisdom does not descend from above. It didn't come from heaven, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, which is what we see here in chapter 21, confusion and every evil thing are there, and we'll see that crop up. Self-seeking always ends up causing problems. Moses was an excellent example of a leader who was always willing to give up the position at any time. When Korah and, and those that supported Korah in the wilderness began to rise up and say, we could, anybody could do this. God, it's not just you. We could all do this. Moses agreed with them. Of course you could. I'm not exclusively the only person qualified to lead you. I'm just the one God picked. So he said, let's stand out here in the open. You stand over there. I'm going to stand over here. And we'll let God choose again. If he chooses you, fine. But if he doesn't, fine. Always willing. And of course, the ground opened up and swallowed Korah and all of his supporters. And, and Moses went on with his responsibilities, but always willing to let it go. That's a good way to live. That's a, that's a, that's a heavenly, that's, a, that's wisdom, true wisdom. This isn't. And in the church, we can have the same problem. We have to be careful about self-seeking and selfish ambitions, which is what this young man has. Uh, not young as iffy, but he's got selfish ambitions. I don't want anybody to take this from me. Well, why not? You know, why do you want it if God doesn't want you to have it? Well, he doesn't worship God. He has no interest in following in the ways of his dad. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, it says in verse 5. And he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. That's not very long, eight years. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Now, he's not, in the king, he's not in the kingdom of Israel. He's the king of Judah. Remember, they've been doing really well down there, or for the most part. And Israel, the northern tribes, they are gone. They are apostate. They are as far from God as you could get. And now this new guy is taking Judah to that same place. Here's what he says about him. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done, for he had the daughter of Ahab as a wife. Remember that unevenly, unevenly or unequally yoked with an unbeliever. He's, he's found a, a young lady that has no interest in God. He's married her, and now she has weighed in on his life and decided to pull him away from the Lord, and that is often the case. There's always that hope that the believer will save the unbeliever in those relationships, uh, witness dating, we might call it today. 
but more often than not, it's the other way around. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David, since he had promised to give a, a lamp to him and to his sons forever. Always going to have one of your sons on the throne, David, good, bad, or ugly. Always going to have one of your sons on there. And he, God kept his word. That's a promise. In the days of, of uh, Edom, or in, the, in, in his days, this new king's days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority. Now they were kind of a, uh, they had to bring tribute. They weren't of the nation of Israel. Obviously they were Edomites, they're from Esau. But they would bring tribute. They would submit themselves willingly to, well, we're not doing that anymore, they said. He revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves. So Jehoram went out with his officers, you know, got to grab that power back. And all his chariots with him. And he rose by night and attacked the Edomites who had surrounded him and the captains of the chariots. Thus, Edom has been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day. At that time, Libna revolted. Now, that's just a city in Israel, but it is a Levitical city. In other words, that's where God had given a place for the priests in that area to live. It was their city, a priesthood city. Well, they rebelled for a different reason, not just because... They didn't want to have this man rule over them, but because he had, it says, forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. We're not doing this. We're not following you. There's going to be a common theme here a little bit, and I don't want to spend too much time on it and get too political today. <laughs> Imagine that. I'll try. But when it comes to obeying God or obeying the new authority, the priest chose to obey God. And that is right, and that is biblical. And we'll talk more about that as we go through this. So, we're not going to do it. Moreover, this new king made the high places in the mountains of Judah and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit harlotry and led Judah astray. So God sends a prophet to them, and he writes him a letter that's not the actual prophet. The prophet writes a letter. And the reason he writes this letter is so that the king knows that what's about to happen to you is not coincidence. It's not random. It's intentional. And it's from God. And that is the main purpose for all prophecy in Scripture is to let us know that it's going to happen and that God knew it was going to happen. And isn't necessarily for us to change things. It can our opportunities here, I believe after receiving this letter, this new king could repent, could turn away from his wicked ways, could put on sackcloth and ashes, humble himself. From what I've read earlier, God is open to that. Would stay his hand from what he's about to do to him. But if he won't, he sends his prophet to make sure that everybody knows that what's about to happen to your king is intentional and it's for a certain reason. And he's going to give that reason in the letter. Thus says the Lord God of your father, David, because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat, your father, or in the ways of Asa, king of Judah, but have walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and have made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to play the harlot like the harlotry of the house of Ahab and also have killed your brothers, those of your father's household who were better than yourself. Behold, the Lord will strike your people with a serious affliction, your children, your wives, and all your possessions. And you, I've got a special thing for you. You will become very sick with the disease of your intestines until your intestines come out by reason of the sickness day by day. 
It's a good face. That's the same face I made when I studied it. <laughs> I'm like, because mm -hmm. you can't not try to picture that. Mm. Now, I get a letter like this, <laughs> and I'm on my knees, and I'm begging. Ooh, no. No intestine touching, please. I'm going to keep it all in. I don't want to ever see that part of me, you know, kind of thing. But he doesn't. And that is probably one of the lessons, I suppose, that we could take away from this. I don't want to get, I don't want to jump too much, but you will minister to people and you will watch their lives get destroyed and you will see them systematically remove this part of God from their life and they stumble and fall a little bit further. And then they remove this part of, their, of God in their life and they go a little bit further. And you can see it happening. And you'll say something to them because you love them. Don't you see what's happening? Don't you see where you're headed? Don't you see how it's a, it's a slow decline? You're on a slippery slope. Return, 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 like God does throughout the scriptures, telling his people, Israel, please return to me, return to me. Why would you die? Why would you not choose the path of life, you know? After getting a letter like this, this guy refuses to repent. We can understand sin has a, a strong hold on us. We call it a stronghold, but it has a strong hold on us. There's something about this. There's something in our minds that thinks that maybe we can get away with it or we can get past the, the consequences of the choices we're making. And we can't. It just have not happened yet. It's hard for us to let that reality set in and to actually, because of what God says, turn and go the other way. We oftentimes have to get physically touched before we actually turn the other way. But that's the case here. And it may be the case with our relatives sometimes. Why won't you hear me? Why would you want this to happen in your life? Why wouldn't you just... He says exactly what to do here, how to change, how to turn back. And you choose not to. Well, because it's... I don't know what it is. Just self-governing. We love to govern ourselves. Moreover... Even after this prophecy, this letter was sent to him. The Lord stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines and the Arabians who were near the Ethiopians. And they came up to Judah and invaded it and carried away all the possessions that were found in the king's house and also his sons and his wives so that there was not a son left to him except Jehoahaz, the youngest of his sons. And we'll see that happened also. All of his brothers get killed, except one descendant of David. All of this guy's sons get killed, all except one. We'll see this several times. This is a common theme through Scripture. We have an adversary, the devil, who wants to stop God's promises, wants to stop his prophecies, wants to make sure they can't come to pass. Satan truly thought he won at the cross, truly thought he had killed the Deliverer, the Messiah. He had won until he rose from the dead and had defeated him. It's a slick move, good play. Not expected, not what he thought was going to happen. But God has always kept his word. He will not be outwitted. Moses is the deliverer to be sent. The whole nation of Israel and Egypt is crying out for a deliverer or a helper. And Pharaoh just happens to get it in his heart to throw all the baby boys into the Nile River. That doesn't come from Pharaoh. 
That doesn't come from man. That comes from Satan. It's a demonic influence upon someone who can be moved by a demonic influence and begins to throw these babies in. Now, Pharaoh thinks it's population control, but Satan knows the deliverer is coming. He did the same thing when Jesus was born. Crazy Herod. Kill all those baby boys two years old and under because I don't want to lose my throne. Well, there was something much bigger going on in the spiritual world. A demonic influence upon this King Herod who could be moved by a demonic influence for selfish intentions begins to kill all these babies, but spiritual intentions were far bigger. Stop the Messiah. Kill the Messiah. Prevent the salvation of mankind. That didn't work. God is faithful to keep his word and his promises no matter what the demonic influences try to do and move. We see a lot of that today. I think we see a lot of demonic influence on the political leaders today. They're doing it for their own reasons, but they're being moved by a much darker, more sinister spiritual entity, demonic influences on them. Because they can be. They can be moved by them. They've opened themselves up for it. They've left themselves vulnerable. They, some of them actually embrace it. But for whatever reason, they're being moved. And we need to act like that. I am all for standing up for righteousness. and well, I'll never stop talking about politics or being involved in it ever. I think that's our responsibility as Christians is to stand up for righteousness and be open and out loud about it. Always. But never forget that this is not a battle between flesh. There's something far bigger going on. Much bigger players moving chess pieces around this giant board called earth. As things are getting lined up and positioned. Don't forget the book of Revelation. Don't forget how this all ends. That there is a one world government. There is a one world currency. There is a true mark of the beast. And please don't be duped by these people that say that's the mark. That's the mark. The, first of all, if you're a believer, you won't be here for the mark. Don't worry about it. And second of all, you have to renounce Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, embrace Satan to receive the mark. And so far, nothing that anybody's ever come up with is that. And so it hasn't happened yet, and we won't see it if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, and you're kind of taking a wait-and-see attitude, well, now you know. You'll want to keep that book of Revelation in your back pocket. It's going to get ugly quick. And you need to be a repenter at that point. Quickly get to God. And you're still going to have to endure all those years, and you'll be martyred. You'll be killed for your faith. Um, but you can still be saved, so... Um, now, my advice is to get saved beforehand and be kept from that hour of trial. But I know we got some tough guys and gals out there that say, I think I'm going to see if I can. All right. Have it your way. Things are being moved around. It doesn't matter if 2024 happens to go our way or not our way. It's a pause. Wonderful. Great. I'll take the reprieve. I took it last time. Wonderful. I'll take the pause. I'll take that. I'd stand up for righteousness every chance I get. But it's simply a pause in the inevitable. We're heading towards that place. And my responsibility is to be on my knees praying that as many people get saved as possible and that I open my mouth and tell them about Jesus Christ and the salvation 
that they can have in him. That they can trust in him to forgive him for all of their sins, past, present, and future. To be kept from the hour of trial. To be saved and live forever with God. They've been told. He stirs up the other folks. They come and fight him and they touches his intestines and now he's going to die from that. And it happened, it says. After all this, the Lord struck him and his intestines with an incurable disease. And then it happened in the course of time that after the end of two years, that the intestines came out because of his sickness. So he died in severe pain and the people made no burning for him like the burning for his fathers. And when they died, they'd go through a ceremonial and bury him in the, you know, the king's uh, tombs and all that. Not for this guy. He was 32 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem eight years, and to no one's sorrow, he departed. You know, no one showed up at his funeral. However, they buried him in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. Some respect, but not a lot of respect. Chapter 22. Then the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahazai, his youngest son, king in his place. He's the only one left. I mean, they didn't have a choice. For the raiders who came up uh, with the Arabians into the camp had killed all the older sons. So Ahaziah, the son of, the, uh, of uh, Jehoram, king of Judah, reigned. Ahaziah was 42 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. That's got to be some kind of record. His mother's name was... Um, Atalii, we believe that's how it's pronounced, the granddaughter of Omri. She's crazy grandma. You can just remember, you don't have to know how to pronounce her name, just call it then crazy grandma, and you'll see why. Crazy grandma was his mom. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother, crazy grandma, advised him to do wickedly. Therefore he did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab, for they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. Now, side note, moms, you have a huge impact on your kids. The greatest impact on the kids is from mothers. It really is. Dads have a second place role, I believe. But for the most part, mothers have the primary impact on your children. And you're going to impact them with who you are. When you're godly... You're impacting them. When, when you're not godly, you're still impacting them. Now, this woman seemed to be pure evil. So it's no wonder that her son, who looks up to this wonderful woman, or the only mother that he knows, and says, I want to be, I want to please mom. They just do. I want to be like mom. I want to act like mom. I want to talk like mom, walk like mom. She's, a, she's the one. I don't have any other influence like that in my life, that important. And so we tend to mirror mom. And that's important for us to know, I think, as parents, is that you're going to affect your kids, and they're going to do what you do, and they're going to act like you act. When you train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it, works both ways. You train up a child to be wicked, don't be surprised when they're wicked. You train up a child to be godly, don't be surprised when they're godly. Now, those are choices I'll have to make, and we'll get into that in the very next verse. But for you and me, as mothers and fathers out there, we have the responsibility of being good examples for them and leading them in the right ways and pointing them towards the Lord. Our sin will find its way out of us throughout our lives anyway, 
I don't need to make any effort on that part. They're going to catch me. My kids are going to catch me saying and doing and thinking things that aren't what a godly person is supposed to think. And I ask for forgiveness for that and show them in Scripture where that's wrong and how dad needs to change and this is things that, you know. The effort on our part is to be godly in front of them and to teach them to be godly. Well, this one wasn't. This boy grew up in this household. She was more like her father, Ahab. Um, anyway, here's a second responsibility. Moving on from parents to our responsibility as kids. He also, this new king, followed their advice. They didn't have to. It's a choice. If you have grown up in a household where it's been bad influence after bad influence, you can stop that today. Just don't pass that on. Don't be that. Be a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Be like God. Walk in holiness and impurity. And don't pass that on to the next generation. Give them a fighting chance to walk with the Lord. You know? But he didn't. He followed their advice, but he didn't have to. And went with Jehoram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, to war against Hazael, king of Syria, and Ramoth-Gilead, and the Syrians wounded Jehoram. Then he returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which he had received at Ramah when he fought against Hazael, king of Syria. And Hazariah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Jehoram, the son of Ahab in Jezreel, because he was sick. How you doing, buddy? You know, going to visit, bringing him some flowers and a teddy bear. Now, I have an interesting background, and I don't like to, I like to make fun of it, if anything, but there is just something about this that is very familiar to me. Um, I was raised in a, in a good home. I didn't have, didn't have problems. wasn't beat, you know. I mean, we had our issues like any other family did, but nothing like, you know, I didn't have crazy grandma, you know, raising me at all. But I got caught up with certain groups of kids at school and high school and so on and began to, we just gravitated towards each other and we would get into some trouble, you know. We would get into a lot of trouble, you know. And after you get into trouble and you're on probation, you learn to stay away from people like that or at least you know better because although they're fun to be around, you know that it just is going to bring problems into your life, you know. And you do really good for a really long time because you got so scared from the last time you got busted or caught or whatever that you just really stick. But that wears off, that fear. And pretty soon you wonder what everybody's doing. Then you're just going to go visit. You're not going to do what they're doing. You're not going to participate in what they're doing. You're just going to go see what's up and go to the house and hang out. And all of a sudden the cops come and sweep the whole place. And you end up getting caught up in the sweep. I don't know anybody like that, but that could happen. And you try to tell your parents, I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know? No, that was a choice. That was a choice. You shouldn't have been there. But I wasn't doing this, that, or the other thing. You got caught up in it, didn't you? You got swept. And that's really God's hand of protection in those situations, not in this one that we're about to read, where he just went down to go see his sick friend. But his sick friend has a target on his back this big, and God has him in his sights because he needs to be judged. And so he sent a judge to take this kid out 
he's a man, but takes this problem out because he's ruining all the other people around him. And this guy happens to show up at his house, teddy bear and flowers in hand. How you feeling, buddy, when judgment dude comes? And he gets taken out too. Here's what he says specifically. Verse 7, his going to Joram was God's occasion, opportunity, you could change that too, Ahazaz's downfall. For when he arrived, he went out with Jehoram against Jehu, the son of Nimshi, whom the Lord had anointed to cut off the house of Ahab. And it happened when Jehu was executing judgment on the house of Ahab and found the princes of Judah and the sons of Ahaziah's brothers to, who, uh, who served Ahaziah, that he killed them. Then he searched for Ahaziah and they caught him. He was hiding in Samaria and brought him to Jehu. When they killed him, they buried him because, they said, he is the son of Jehoshaphat who sought the Lord with all of his heart. So the house of Ahaziah had no one to assume power over the kingdom. Hmm. Took him out. I'm just saying, you know where you're not supposed to be. I know where I'm not supposed to be. Don't go there. Don't think you're strong enough. Don't think enough time's passed. Don't think that you can pull away from it. But you're not going to do what they're doing. You're just going to go minister to them, maybe. I'm just going to go minister to them. Mm-hmm. You can minister to them with a letter. I don't know if he writes anymore. Text. Whatever. Send them scriptures. See how they respond. That'll let you know how they would respond to you in person. Stay away from that stuff. You're young. You're a new believer. It doesn't matter whether you're 90 or whether you're 15 years old. If you're a brand new believer, you have no business being anywhere near all that garbage. You need to get grounded. You need to get solid, stable with the Lord. You need to know Scripture. You need to understand who you are in Christ now. That takes some time. You know who you are in sin. That's easy. We know that. I got that down. But when you come and you're a born-again believer, you got to go through that whole thing again. All the years it took you to figure out who you were, you've got to now find out who you are in Christ. Who does God want me to be? Since I'm no longer governing my life and I'm letting God rule over my life, who does he want me to be? What does he want me to do and say? What gifts has he given me? What gifts hasn't he given me? You know? And stay in that place. And God will put you in exciting places after you're ready. You don't have to put yourself there. God will put you there. You'll have a wild ride. You'll have an amazing ride with the Lord when you get saved. You'll go places you never thought you'd go. I never thought I'd leave the country, and here I am in Africa. Yep. He'll do it. He'll do it. But let him establish you first. Anyway, nobody left to assume the the kingdom. Now, crazy grandma, the mother of Ahaziah, verse 10, saw that her son was dead. She arose and destroyed all the royal heirs of the house of Judah. Crazy grandma goes bedroom to bedroom and starts taking out all these kids because she wants to be queen mother. She wants to be the ruler. She wants to govern. And she's willing to do it over the blood of her own grandchildren. This nuts. Nuts. This is demonic. Nobody's this evil on their own, you know? 
This is God saying, you could be the ruler. This is Satan saying, you could be the ruler. Why don't you just kill all these young men? Yes. So for selfish motivations, she's doing it because she wants to rule. Someone's whispered in her ear that she'd be the greatest queen ever. But spiritually speaking, this is a way to stop God's promises. Never works. You'd think Satan would figure this out now, but he doesn't. But Jehoshabeth, and that's how I'm going to pronounce that, probably wrong. Bahutheshiba, maybe. Um, that's the alternative pronunciation in the center column reference, if you have a study Bible. Jehoshiba, or Sheba. The daughter of the king took Joash, that's one of them, one of them that was going to be killed, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered, and put him in his, uh, and his nurse in a bedroom. So Jehoshabeth, or Jehoshabeth, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jehoiada, the priest, for she was the sister of Ahaziah, hid from um, Atali, uh, so that she did not kill him. And he was hidden with them in the house of God for six years while Talai reigned over the land. So she actually thinks she's got them all, you know. I don't know if she remembers him or what, but anyway, she thinks she's ruler. Now, I know it's, it's time, and we're a little early, which is unusual, which is okay. We can be early and late sometimes. But this demonic influence, when we read through Scripture, and this is where I'm going to close, there's not much more that there seems to be, the way it's written, that there are certain spiritual governing authorities over countries. It's the way it's written. I don't know. I've never seen it. I've never been in that realm. But I understand from Scripture that they had to do battle with this demonic spirit who was over this country. And Gabriel and Michael were fighting over here to get, you know, so these are all angelic, you know, things going on beyond our sight and understanding. But you, as a spiritual person, as someone who's a born-again believer filled with the Holy Spirit, you get that sense. I can't see it. I've never witnessed it. But this feels odd, you know? There's something not normal about this. What I'm seeing happening is just, I know it's happened before, but that's because I believe that's what's happening. Demonic influences are moving, you know? I was thinking about, and these are just wild thoughts, but... And they're not that wild. I'm not, a, I'm, not, I'm not crazy. Well, I wouldn't know, would I? You'd have to tell me if I was crazy. But I was thinking about when Hong Kong, um, um, and I don't really understand the whole situation, but lost their lease with Britain. You know, that's the best way I could describe it. They, they're, they're being returned <laughs> to China. And, uh, and of course, they, they really enjoyed their freedom while they had it. You know, this is great. They're a little concerned about the Communist Party, you know, running them again. And so we see them rise up and start to do some freedom fighting, at least some demonstrating and all that. We see the China government just squash them. We like the money you make, but we want all the authority over here. And they squash this uprising, or they're trying to still even. Okay. Then you've got Russia, a whole other superpower. And they've got this opposition leader trying to rise up and bring freedom, and they're having unauthorized protests and all this over there. And so they finally arrest three weeks, you know, three weeks before, they arrest about 1,500 of his gang, and they're, they're just protesting. They're just saying, we want freedom. 1,500. The next week, they arrest 3,000, and the next week after that, they arrest 6,000 of his unauthorized protest folks, followers, 
extremists. And then they finally arrest the guy and put him in prison for two and a half years, this opposition leader. Another freedom movement swashed. And then we've got us. It's a little too on the nose for me. I mean, it's almost like unauthorized, crazies, extremists, root them out, 60-day stand down. I mean, I'm all, I hate white supremacy. I think we all do. There ain't a person in here that likes white supremacists. You know, they all need, well, they all need a pop in the face, but, and a wake-up call. I don't think that's who they're talking about for the most part. And you see this thing get squashed. I'm just saying that's an awful lot of superpowers in a short amount of time, all squashing freedom at the exact same time. It's just a little hard to swallow that this is just business as usual, you know? And so my suggestion is, and my belief is, we need to be looking up, for one thing, because our redemption draws near and that the rapture is imminent. I believe that. I mean, it's always been eminent. There's no more prophecies that to be fulfilled for Christ to come and take his bride home to be with him in heaven before the great tribulation. Nothing else has to happen. Maybe we go through the Ezekiel War. Maybe we don't. It really doesn't tell us where we get taken up and when that happens. Nothing has to happen. We could go through it. We might not go through it. But we won't go through the Great Tribulation period as a believer. We know we're kept from that hour of trial. I'm just saying we need to be looking up and being about our Father's business right now. And as much as I love the pauses in the events that are unfolding and the moments of peace and the moments of freedom that we have, I never forget while vocalizing and giving my opinion all the time and standing up for righteousness, I never forget that my mission and primary mission is to get people saved and tell people about Jesus. That's the primary goal. That's the primary mission of the church. And the freedom that is needed to do that. But we can do that in, while being persecuted too. That never changes. Our bright light and our salt that we are in this world never changes, whether we're in prison or whether we're free. Never stops. Paul is a great example of that. And so I see these things here, and I see this, this crazy grandma getting influenced by Satan. I mean, it's just obvious as you're sitting there. Now, you'd like to explain it away as to her just being really ambitious or just power-hungry or whatever. And that's probably true. Probably did tickle her fancy to, to do this. But to go to that length for that power is, I mean, that is it's demonic. Anyway, I think we're living in times like that right now. I really do. Um, I think we just need to live accordingly. Well, eyes wide open and mouths wide open for sure. Um, and, 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 and do Micah, you know, the, the scripture that he calls us to do, to, to, to love mercy and to, to love justice, to, do, to defend the fatherless and the widows, to do all the things we're called to do. Um, until we can't do them anymore, you know? We're called to that. And so I just want to, I want to encourage you in that, you know? It's hard to encourage in a discouraging time, you know? But be encouraged because um, people will never be more open to what you have to say about Jesus Christ than when they're being persecuted. They really won't. As pressure comes upon them and the life that they thought, the utopia they thought they were going to get through this other way other than Christ, when their God fails them, little g, fails them, they'll turn to the true and living God and you'll be there with the answer and the hope which lies within you. So be ready for that. Be ready for that. All right.
We're early. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you can encourage us even in these, these are crazy two chapters, Lord. And you watch all this, and you watch all this all the time. I can't imagine what you see that we don't see. All the hurt, all the pain, all the suffering, all the rebellion, all the self-seeking and envy and strife that goes on that we don't even, we're not witnessing it, but you see it. Thank you for giving us that 30,000 foot view, sharing with us what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, and even sometimes when, but not always. It's, in, it's comforting to know that you know. It's comforting to know how this ends and that you let us know through prophecy how this all turns out for the believer and how this all turns out for the unbeliever. And we have a clear choice before it all goes down as to whether we want to be on this side or that side. Lord, for those in this room and for those who uh, may listen to this, I pray that they would choose life today. They would choose to follow hard after you, to give you their lives, to accept your forgiveness, to believe in the the only, be, or the only son that could die on the cross for them, your son, the perfect son, and that all their sins are forgiven past, present, and future, that they embrace that, and that they'd walk worthy of that calling, that salvation, that adoption into your family, that they'd live for you, grounded, established in their faith, Lord. And Lord, help us to share this with other people as they are going to be dismayed and they're going to be bewildered and they're not going to know what to do, that we would be able to give them a reason for the hope which lies within us when asked. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. Bless these folks as they drive home today. In Jesus' name, amen.